everyone knows about everyone churches. Knows. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's like Hello and welcome to 76 Small Rooms, a podcast about architecture from Aotearoa, New Zealand. I'm here with Matt, Tash and Jeremy, and in this episode we talk with the new president of the New Zealand Institute of Architects, Christina Van Bohemen. We talked about her new role, the promotion of architecture, and about her presidential campaign. Our guest this week, Christina Van Bohemen, who on Tuesday is about to be sworn in as the new president of the New Zealand Institute of Architects. Congratulations, Christina. Thank you. Are you excited? I, am I excited? I um, am anticipating with a little bit of angst, but it's a new challenge, and so yes, from that point of view, I'm excited. What does it mean to be president of the NZAA? What's expected of you in the role? Well, I suppose formally, um, the role is that in, in a, at a governance level, essentially um, the chair of the board. So in terms of the organisation's governance structure, um, the, the president is the leader of that. But um, from a kind of practice and what it means for the organisation, um, really I think the role of the president is is the spokesperson and the, the, the leader, the figurehead for the purposes, for the duration of being president and so the advocate for the profession and for what the organisation stands for uh, and also a kind of big role is to put out there as much as I can the value of architecture and its contribution to New Zealand. Have you been running a presidential style campaign to win this role for the past year? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, (laughs) no, no, not really at all. my, I was nominated, so the, the situation or the election or the nomination of the new president was a new regime 12 months ago and that came about through some discussion over a number of years on council about the way the president was elected or selected because it was always a tap on shoulder regime and the discussion about there should be more transparency in this day and age mm. uh, and, and the problems w- with the tap on shoulder um, method means that people very often pick someone not unlike themselves. So, you know, we all know about mm-hmm. those sorts of things. So there were big discussions in council about the extent to which democracy should play a role in determining who the president would be. And in the end, uh, the, the council agreed that actually a good proposal was that nominations would be invited and then a subgroup of the council would consider those nominations and then present them present their recommendation to the rest of the council so pip invited nominations i think in um february last year or something like that um at the time i spoke to some other women here in auckland and said that we needed to put some women up because one of the things about the lack of representation in the organisation is, um, well, that's something that you know has, has we've long talked about. So in order to get representation, you have to make yourself available. So um, a group of us had a conversation about that, and a group of us made ourselves available, and, <laughs> and we were nominated. So that's how it came about. And so there was a, a number of women nominated, you Well, say. I know there was, there was more than me. That's, uh-huh. that's great. <laughs> and, and I mean, it bodes well um, for the future of women in architecture as well, because, of course, you're not the first female 
uh, president of the NZIA? No, Helen, Professor Helen Tippett was uh, president 20... She was either nominated 27 years ago or it's 27 years ago since she was president. Mm. So sometime, given our history, is, um, you know, we're an organisation that's over 100 years old, um, two women's not such a great record. So mm-hmm. no. let's hope that going into the 21st century, it's not such a rarity. Um, yeah, and I mean, I think the position of women in the Institute... Is there are you know there is an issue and we don't see enough senior women in particularly corporate practice I suppose is one way of thinking about it. Mm. And on another hand, there are many women who are running their own practices, um, and there are many women who are in senior roles in corporate practice. But I think we do need to have a better discussion about diversity and equity and that gender is on the agenda. Um, and and also I think that. The other thing that will happen is that it's interesting now when you look at the age or the, the, the gender split of people who are going for registration. And if there's a survey I've seen of the years from the years that registered architects who are currently registered were born, I mean, there were, you know, the, the number of women is a tiny number, and then it's right now it's about 50 50 who go for registration. So the challenge for the profession is to retain those women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mean only 50% of female graduates? Well, not so much the graduates, because the other thing is that there is a big drop-off both in men and women who, from the time they decide, they graduate to whether they decide to get registered. And um, I don't remember the figures, but uh, there is a drop-off, and some of those people will have left the profession altogether. Some of them will... Uh, not it will decide for one reason or another not to get registered, but what I do mean is that the um, in the last few years, in terms of the number of women and the number of men, the number is about the same who are registering now as opposed to in the past it was less a small number of women and a very large number of men, so that's evening out. So when that, that should be reflected in. Um, I mean, we're still only 21% of registered architects, so mm. we've got a long way to go. But at least there are more women who are getting registered, and so what we need to do as an organisation and as a profession to hold on to them. Are you also saying that you're going to make diversity a specific part of your agenda as mm. president? Yeah, well, I think it's certainly going to be a part. Um, and I think that a lot of work has been done by architecture and women, which has been... Mm. Uh, which is fantastic advocate for not only the women in the profession but the issues of diversity and family-friendly practice. And I suppose it's because of the effort of particularly the spearhead group who have got architecture and women going that the thinking about, and some of us saying we should go, we should put ourselves forward was actually, you know, can't, the discussion's there and we need to to actually play, play it out. So... Um, Otherwise, perhaps if that organisation wasn't there, then perhaps you know I might we might feel less engaged or, or less inclined to push yourself forward or promote, you know agree to be nominated. I think that visibility of women at all um, uh, stages of architecture is incredibly important as you're coming through because um, you know I probably uh, underappreciated when I first came out, I don't know, some of those sort of quiet struggles that, you know, happen perhaps as you become more established. And, you know, if you can actually see then women holding, you know, these positions of leadership in your field, 
it's massively encouraging and it hasn't been there yeah. to date. And I think I have found, um, I mean, that whole issue of role models isn't something that I think I had particularly engaged with. Or, but I think it is really important and it certainly, I've been, you know, hugely um, honoured by the feedback or the response to me being um, nominated or um, in the end elected. Um, from a number of people from just seeing that it's a change, you know, it's a different, it's a different person or it's a different, that's a woman there and the woman hasn't been seen at the top of the organisation for a very long time. So, um, and given that, you know, we re- women are half the public and mm. half our clients. Um, mm. and, and I think also it's quite important for minority groups in architecture in general. I mean, we've seen Anna Aho um, come to rise over the last while, but you know, at the end of the day, women are still 50% of their organisation as well. So, you know, it signals change, which is great. We've talked about diversity, and that's obviously a really important issue for you. What do you feel the other main issues facing the profession at the moment are? Whether or not you have the power to Mm, address mm. those or not? What are Um, the biggest challenges? Well, to some extent, I think the challenges are... To some extent, they're the same, and they're also the, the same as they have been, and they're the same worldwide, and that's about... Um, the enormous amount of information we're increasingly having to document and get our heads around and the balance in, for example, in our scope of works and detailing, you know, just thinking about H1, thermal performance mm. calculations, health and safety, safety and design, how we do all of that for our fees, um, so how you kind of do the business proposition and so that you can adequately service the project. So it's managing all of that. There's all that stuff of the business of architecture. And I suppose the business of architecture is perhaps something that we don't talk enough about and we probably um, need to address more specifically, you know, business, um, making sure that we're... And that's the, that's the role of the Institute, to provide um, continuing professional education so that people can upskill and um, get on top of... The issues, and also understand that they're within a collegial framework where they can discuss issues um, with their colleagues. Because we're all having various challenges, and that we and that we also need to perform because if architects are to hold ourselves up as the experts of the built environment, then we have to be the best, and that's where we would say the reason for. Registration is the validation should be the validation of our education and our apprenticeship and our training, and therefore, mm-hmm. um, we need to perform really well mm-hmm. and and listen to our clients and respond to them and you know be astute, be the best. Mm. It's one of those threats also that worldwide or in most Western nations at least architecture is come to be seen and maybe has always been seen as something of a luxury. I wonder if that's your perception and if so, you have ways you think the Institute can address that. Um, Are you thinking in that line particularly of, I suppose that question I think that sounds like it's around residential Yeah, I'm thinking mostly residentially actually. Because most of your members will also be residential architects. Yeah, that's right. But but also I suppose um, to some extent... Well, there are two things there. One is that, to some extent, the engagement of an architect is is probably going to be the privilege 
uh, the privileged middle classes who will do that and um, because they do have the wherewithal to um, but to commission an architect. Um, on the other hand, public housing, apartment mm. housing, the change of housing types will actually bring, give many more people perhaps an opportunity mm. to live an architect design building. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And the other thing is that um, there's a range of public buildings and spaces that are designed by architects and that's the other, I mean for many people their one experience of engaging with architecture might be the public library, their school, the, the church, the church. Mm, yeah. that's right. So um, it's, I suppose it's much as anything, uh, there's, it would be, we're not a culture, I think we're changing because of things like the block and the world interest in, um, you know, what's that design program? That, that Grand, Grand designs, yeah. You know, there's an interest and there's an aspirational thing like amongst residential stuff, but there's perhaps also more discussion about design and architecture or building in New Zealand than mm. there was 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, I So there's a kind agree, of... Yeah. Um, mm. And, and I, th- I suppose the challenge for us as a profession is for people to realise that something like... North Wharf, the Devonport mm. Library, um, those schools—they don't just happen by builders. They are, they are highly considered mm. exercises in design, and not only design, construction, drawings, and you know, getting them built. And um, so that, and how we do that um, is, I suppose, it's promoting, it's using the award system to promote when we when we celebrate their excellence. Um, to where we can make it clear that an architect is behind such and such a mm. scheme. And the, well, you know, the Wellington Civic Centre and yeah, the discussions yeah, in Christchurch. Right. I was chatting with someone very recently. You know, If you just look in the Auckland context, um, and I just looked up on my phone there, in 1991 there were, there were uh, I think, 14 or 1,700 people living in the Auckland CBD, and now there's estimated to be almost 40,000. Yeah, so it's the maturing of actual cities as places where residents take advantage of their built amenity yeah. mm. rather than sort of destinational. But they're actually living in amongst the city. Yeah, they're having yes, lunch in St right. Patrick's yeah. Square. They're going down to North Wharf. They're going to the art gallery. They're making decisions about where they will spend which piece of public space they'll spend their time mm. yeah. Which are based on the quality yeah. of those spaces. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and th- we often talk about this idea that the kind of, um, the fluency of people in talking about what is good design yeah. is higher now mm. than it ever mm. has been, I think. You know, I mean, Christchurch is as much a part of that as Auckland yeah. is. I think it's interesting if you think about the development of the Britomart project and how clever Peter Cooper and his team were really to, you know, when that, they bought that space, they there was the, t- there was the tent. So... So, and events mm. began to happen. So the city kind of socialised and began to think, go to that, what had been a bus station and then was a clear, mm. you know, a, a raised ground. And then bit by bit, what went from the tent to activities and then from activities to bits of building and uh, a series of what are actually fundamentally temporary buildings. But the whole level of different types of, different scale, different types of building and if people go uh, go there and play in the public, well, the children play in the public space mm-hmm. and, and they sit on those, um, and they go to the market, you know, all that sort of, so people are kind of, there's a whole part of the city that wasn't there when I arrived yeah. two years ago. No, so yeah. no. And people will go to Britomart 
not necessarily knowing exactly what they're going to do, but knowing that they will find something. Yeah. And it's so many times of the day. Exactly. I, I think yeah. one of the great things yeah. about Britomart is it's given, it should give people the ability to believe in the success of a long-term proposal. Mm. So 20 years ago when those plans were first around and there was the Will Allsop scheme, and there were all these various schemes. Mm. There are a lot of naysayers going, you know, this will never pan out like this. It can't be like that. Mm. But those who've seen it come through mm. should... Um, have the, the hindsight to look back and go, actually, we should be empowered to believe in the success of long-term planning yeah, that works out yeah. that well. Well, yes, and prior to the Wills all Sorts game, the scary scheme that was proposed in the early 90s, no, mid-90s, um, that was the reason for the Stop Rethink Rittemark campaign that Amanda Reynolds um, spearheaded. You know, we were saved by a complete disaster. I mean, whether that would have actually ever come to anything because of the finances. Yeah, I bet is, that's worth looking up again, yeah, actually. Yeah, But what a different place, what a different city mm. that would have been. So you're, you're Auckland-based and a passionate citizen of this city, and there's heaps of conversation, and we're having lots of conversation right now about Auckland, but part of the role extends, of course, to connecting with the rest of the country. Yep. So what are the challenges and how are the ways you plan to actually ensure that reach gets right across all the members? Well, I think these days we are well served by the bulletin, which is the weekly newsletter mm. that's gone out and goes out an email every day, every Friday at five, and has this most enormous take up nationwide. People do read it, so that's, um, I mean, well, it's the chief executive who is the um, who sort of leads that, and I do remark that Pip has been a very um, um, articulate and regular writer, which... <laughs> this is Pip Cheshire, your predecessor. <laughs> yes, and somewhat raised the bar um, about writing. I did. I was struck by his um, his uh, lengthy piece on Friday. Yeah, it was particularly was good, good wasn't it? <laughs> it was pretty good. And then I was only, ah, oh, that's right, it's his last one. Uh, if I could, you know, do half as good a job as he has done in his pieces. Um, so the bulletin's a kind of easy connection. But then the other thing is that the president goes to all the AGMs um, every year and travels around the to country. To all the regions. Mm, and, yeah. Yep. At the moment, it would seem there's a shift this year because of the awards program time, which has kind of been overlapping with the AGMs at branch level that the president is that we're now leaving the local awards to be run by the local councillor and the local regime people um, so there's one less visit at the moment but um, we'll see how that goes and otherwise it's a matter of kind of ears to the ground but also I mean I am a, I am one person on council that everyone every region has got a councillor mm. and and these days council and the board chairs uh, there's a much and the chief executive there's much more fluent conversation between um, different parts of the organization so I think it's you know not not an issue and I'm always at the end of the telephone mm. if anyone wants to <laughs> ring me you also have your own practice yes. sales van bohemian architects are you expecting that to be sorely neglected by you this two-year period or um, well, I have, have you worked out strategies to keep it going we have worked out a strategy but um my role my doing this role is um is could only happen because aaron is a has agreed to it um because it does put a lot more effort on him this is aaron him. your partner and, aaron business partner also. and we've been in business together since 2001 and um 
he has always encouraged and supported my engagement in extramural activities. Um, so some might say he's long suffering, but um, uh, so so he um, has he agreed to me, you know, being nominated because that clearly it will take me out of the running for parts of the practice and mm. so it means we're just looking at the different way that I will be I will engage with projects also we we're, we've got we're a team of five and um, we recently employed another architect so we've got two architects and a graduate working f- with us and um, and you know we've got we have some really good capacity with those people so I'm wholly confident that the wheels will keep turning <laughs> you talked about the institute's ongoing role about the promotion of architecture to the to the wider public. Mm. Um, how good do you think we are right now as as architects and engaging in that publicly? I don't think we are very good, but certainly um, as an organisation, we adopted the strategic plan last year, which was the culmination of a few years' work to think on having reflected on how we are working as an organisation. Um, and what our priorities should be and we really have two strands of priorities one is to advocate for the value of, of, of architecture to the community and um, and as well as the other strand which is to sort of support members and engage um, in activities that strengthen their performance and promote excellence and things um, we I think that the whole issue of how we market or, advertise or advocate for the value of architects is a work in progress and um, that's something that I think we will be working towards um, getting a clearer kind of plan on that this year. Once the new website is launched, um, we, are, we are anticipating that that will be a very useful kind of resource in terms of, and be more publicly um, friendly and mm-hmm. interesting um, and you know the place that people would go to to look up for anything on architecture in New Zealand mm. um, but we do I mean it's it's always a challenge to get the media to engage that's um, not all media are as um, um, encouraging and supportive of the industry as home New Zealanders <laughs> <laughs> thank you Jeremy um, so uh, but you know it was great to see that the recent Auckland Awards, mm. after they were awarded here in Auckland, um, got some time on Radio New Zealand, and there was mm. a bit of discussion. So, um, it would. I mean, it's often the media, often the mainstream me, uh, print media only want to talk about architecture or buildings when there's a scandal. Yeah. So. Well, they sell for record prices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and even then, yeah. often the designers are never mentioned. Mm. Yeah. Right. Um, so there's been a bit of discussion about a name change for the institute from the New Zealand Institute of Architects to the New Zealand Institute of Architecture. Um, what's your position on that, and, and where's the discussion at? I will just update you on the discussion. Is that it was floated as an idea for a rule change twelve months ago, but the reaction from the membership prior to the rules, the rule changes being drafted, was um, significantly in opposition. Mm. So it wasn't dropped. It wasn't put forward as a um, as a motion. However, I think that we probably should be the Institute of Architecture. Mm. I think that. 
it's a much more inclusive um, title for an, for an organisation that is actually interested in the bigger picture, just not the interests of architects. The interests of architects are a fundamental, are a core activity, but being an institute responsible for architecture in New Zealand is a grander agenda and it also allows for engagement by a range of people who are doing things to do with architecture or building if we consider that the creation of buildings is, is with you know design is, is building with intent or designed so and there are a number of people who are not doing who, whose form of practicing architecture these days is not the conventional form and so um, I think that it does I think that a more inclusive approach is is the one to go for whether we head that way again on my watch I don't know I think it's discussion again for the new council and it, we would need to um, check the, the the conversation around the countryside and and see where it goes but I think that um, I think to some extent that the profession well I'd support the protection of title because I think mm. the registration of architects is about achieving excellence in the in the profession of architecture which is having learned having having studied architecture at architecture school and gone through the apprenticeship process which and learning all the um, getting rounded out in terms of all the experience that you need to become a registered mm -hmm. architect mm -hmm. And so that you can be excellent at what you do. So that's one stream, but there are a number of other people who do other things in the profession. And um, and I think that we're, in terms of us, the frustration, such as I felt the other day, <clears throat> when I saw that there was a study being done on the housing crisis in New Zealand and the people being represented or asked to be represented on this government study were engineers, nurses, and various mm. other people, but no architect. And... I wonder whether, because we, we talk about engineers, lawyers, doctors, who are generic names, but somehow there's a problem because people don't quite know what architects are. And I mean, engineers might be, somebody may be an engineer, may have been an engineer once or whatever, but it, so it's, it's, we're not sort of in that basket. We're somehow, and I wonder whether being worrying about the protection of title and therefore the use of the word architect has actually meant that it it's um like too hard to, it off it's, more yeah, that's right mm. yeah so i think there is a role i think that's something to think about um and something to discuss more and um perhaps if the idea is socialized a bit more people might come around to it mm. but um <clears throat> i think there is no i think there is little value in trying to maintain exclusivity. I think, I, I, and, and I, again, I separate the registered architect as a separate issue altogether. But the idea that architecture, you know, there's a bunch of people who we can't say they're architects, but they're actually writing, they are, mm. in everything but registration, they're mm -hmm. doing, they have, they're part of that, the conversation mm -hmm. yeah, and they're doing stuff. Yeah. Um, and it feels that it seems to then you have to kind of overcomplicate it to say what they are, but yet, and sort of undermine that they don't have a valid yeah. contribution to make. Great. Christina, thanks for talking to us today. Good luck for your, the next two years of your tenure. Thank you. 
So that was Christina van Beheman, the new president of the New Zealand Institute of Architects. Um, in the end of the last episode, we mentioned the um, upcoming Resine Architecture and Design Film Festival. And since that episode, um, we've all been to see some of the films. Tash, do you want to tell us about what you managed to get along and see? Well, despite my very long list of um, films I wanted to go and see, I only managed to get to two, um, being the uh, Barbican movie, Barbicania, and uh, Villa Nova Artigas, um, who is a Brazilian architect um, uh, who was one of the founders of the school in Sao, pa- Sao Paulo. Mm-hmm. I think what I enjoyed uh, about this movie was... Uh, the focus on Brazilian architecture, Brazilian modernism. Uh, there's something just really attractive about uh, these buildings, the rigor, but mm. but uh, everything seems to be injected with a real exuberance as well. And when you uh, consider the political context with which they, within which they were operating, I mean, there's massive achievements. And and this movie really um, covers all of that. Uh, uh, his work founding of the school, his exile. Um, so a fascinating movie all round. Was there anything about Lena Bobardi? No, um, there wasn't partic- uh, in particular, um, but I'm f- deeply fascinated by her work. Yeah, yeah, so I knew nothing about Brazilian modernism until I, I t- um, co-taught a, a paper at Unitech with Cesar Wagner, uh-huh. and we learnt about the um, MAM, the Museum Art Moderne, yes. in Rio, which is, this, like you said, it's this incredibly exuberant brutalism. Mm. So the landscape, I think, is Roberto Burley Marx. Mm. And in that, we talked about Lena Bobardi. I forget the name of the architect of MAM himself. But, you know, incredibly exuberant buildings and the begin, you know, pre and during Niemeyer's ascendancies, these wonderful helical concrete staircase yeah. and, you know, really amazing stuff. And I'd never seen any of it before. And it's, it's unique. It, it's really it, fantastic. It is. Well, you know, the the uh, most amazing building for me was, um, of Villanova Artigas's, was the uh, architecture school, which he designed in Sao Paulo, which is this incredible structure from the outside, quite austere, and then you walk in, there are no doors, and it is mm. this incredibly social building, top-lit uh, wide ramps which uh, traverse all of the floors and you can see that he just understood the socialisation of spaces really well and it's, it looks like an amazing building to learn architecture and you can experiment, you can um, you know, sort of take over and inhabit a space and it showed you students doing that um, you know, throughout the years a, a, a remarkable achievement I wish I'd seen it. Yes. Well, that sounds definitely like yeah. one to see. The festival's yeah. finished in Auckland now, but it's coming to Wellington, Dunedin and Christchurch next, so listeners in those areas should watch out. I'm recommending Strange and Familiar Architecture on Fogo Island, which is the incredible story of philanthropist Zeta Cobb and architect Todd Saunders really transforming a tiny island off Canada's east coast by using art and architecture as tools of economic revitalisation. And the movie we went to see on Sunday, Arch Levitated Mass, about yeah. Michael Heiser's incredible artwork at Lackland. Yeah, which was it was such so a good. Doco, so it? we had what's probably our first official, like, 76 small rooms field trip. And Jeremy and I went along to see that um, in a disappointingly empty theatre, given how amazing this movie was. Um, I was writing up my CPD points, and I actually put in easily the best movie I've ever seen about a rock being moved across LA. Um, It was really cool, wasn't it really? It was a really sweet um, story. 
in a sense, if, if, if the story of moving a rock across a city is a story. But I just love the range of commentary. It's all about, most. the bulk of the movie is about that journey where they, they select it in the quarry and they move it across town over 11 nights. A huge over. chunk of rock. And it is massive. Even. And they build this, this incredibly thing, this thing like Eisenbad Kingdom Brunel would be proud of, this huge gantry, and they tow it across LA making stops each night. And thousands of people turn out. They line the streets. They literally cheer when it starts moving. But they interview people through all these different communities. And the responses are just as varied as you would expect. You get people who are going, you know, look, if he, if he carved something into it, then it's art. But it's just a rock, man. It's not, it's not art. And two, people who are profoundly moved by the... Um, ambition of the piece of mm. art and that was for me that was the best but that was before it even got installed and I'm sure that to see it installed is really powerful. Yeah I found the whole thing really moving my favourite Vox Pop was that conspiracy theorist who said I'm just saying there's a military base out there who says this is a rock <laughs> <laughs> do you know <laughs> so I think that title is on Netflix and I'd really recommend it, um, it's really and good you've watched High Rise as well and High Rise, which isn't part of the festival, but again, um, I borrowed your copy of the book, Matt, um, which is a very arresting opening line. Um, I'd encourage everyone sees that. It's really fantastic as well. Yeah, I really want to see that. Mm. So for those of you um, in the rest of the country, it's rolling on uh, after here it's in Wellington from uh, until the 12th of June. This is the Rosina. That's right. Um, it's in Dunedin from the 16th to the 26th of June and Christchurch from the 30th of June to the 13th of July. So there's still heaps of time to see those. Programs at rialto.co.nz. That's right. Um, so that's it for episode eight. That's it from the 76 Small Rooms team. Get in touch on Twitter and Facebook and we'll, um, we've already got episode nine well in the works. So that's it from us. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.